Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And today, we are inching ever closer to football season. At the day of recording, we are nine days away, and by the time this releases, it is eight days away, which means we are actually dangerously close to releasing our first football preview episode. I'm pretty sure both of us forgot about that until I just said it. I completely did. Yeah, I forgot that that's something that we do. Because it's been so long since uh, we did the last one, all the way back in uh, December. So it's uh, it's been a while, but it's going to be fun to get back into it. Um, I especially like later in the season, once we start to get uh, incorporate more of the uh, current season stats, once there's like enough to like care make, about. Yeah, once there's enough to make anything of them. Uh, but I am really looking forward to it and uh, getting back uh, onto that uh, hyper-focused uh, football uh, season version of uh, the Alley Cats. But I, I st- I'm still going to enjoy having these episodes as well where we uh, co- cover the uh, non-revenues, uh, especially when it's mostly good news. Yeah, like we have for this week. We're going to cover the Soccer Cats for going into a little bit of football news. But before we do any of that... We still have our new merch store, and we still have the deal, which is 15% off your order if you go to aggievillealleycats.myspreadshop.com. It's exactly how it spells. Once again, aggievillealleycats.myspreadshop.com, where you can find our new designs, such as established alley cats or retro alley cats, and also the classic neon alley cats for those who among us who discern that and love that the most. Once again, you can get... 30, you can get 20, 15% off your order if you order before August 30th, so don't miss out on getting that deal. So let's start off with women's soccer. And, you know, we got two quality results that, one of which I know for a fact we probably weren't expecting, because I think you and I both expected this first matchup to go quite poorly. <laughs> And that is up against the other Wildcats of the Midwest. The other purple Wildcats of the Midwest, in fact. That is the Northwestern Wildcats in Evanston, Illinois. And this is a massive result. Not because we won. Because we didn't. But because we drew up against the number 18 team in the country. Which I will... 1,000 times out of 1,000 with such a young program, I will absolutely take that. What's up, Maple? Yeah, it's a great result uh, for K-State. Northwestern did mostly dominate the game. Uh, At least if you look at shot totals, they had 19. Uh, K-State just had three throughout the game. And all of K-State's came in the second half. Uh, But still, we played really solid... uh, um, to keep them out of goal, at least. And uh, sure, they were ultimately probably a better team than us, but we decided to make the game uh, just kind of muddy. I mean, we're a physical team, and uh, we have a style that we can play to kind of level the playing field to a certain degree, and that's pretty much just fouling. Yeah, because <laughs> 14 yeah. fouls. Yeah, we, uh, K-State was called for 14 fouls in this game, Northwestern just two and uh, four yellow cards were given out all to uh, uh, various Wildcats. And uh, it's, a, it's a good result. 
uh, kind of similar to drawing with a West Virginia. I think it was last year, two years ago. I think it was last year. And uh, you'd love to see these start turning into wins, but this is a team that K-State uh, completely blew it against last year, uh, where they had a 1-0 lead at half and ended up losing 2-1 uh, in the second half. Uh, but K-State held on in this one, where in the past they've kind of collapsed at the end of this uh, sort of game. I think that kind of speaks to the depth that this year's team has. They have a lot more depth than we're used to. Um, but fortunately, I wasn't able to watch this because it was on Big Ten Network Plus. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, I wasn't going to pay 120 bucks for that. Nope. But all in all, a uh, pretty solid result uh, for uh, the Wildcats. Um, hope to see them remain competitive in a lot more games as well. Yeah. Like you said, it's a lot of depth coming in as well because you had a lot of people come in as substitutions and, you know, get significant time. But, yeah, it was really, really... This is a really encouraging result, especially, you know, given our sort of... I'm not going to say negativity, but our goal was improvement. And I think this is a marked show of improvement. But the next match resulted in a win and was much improved, at least during the first half of the game. And that was the home opener at Boozer Family Park up against the UTSA Roadrunners. Shout out Mr. Hurricane. But uh, he has no idea who we are and he never will. But, but the this game ended up as a 2-0 victory in favor of Kansas State. Hopefully we can get the stats properly noted here. Because um, it, it's still not, we're doing this immediately afterwards, so sometimes, you know, stats can be a little little wonky, but, you know, it was really solid game. I wasn't able to watch the much of the first half or any of the first half, so you can kind of talk about the what you saw in the first half and how, mm-hmm. how good it was. Yeah. For reference, this is a team that K-State lost to last year. They lost uh, 1-0 at UTSA last year. Uh, so coming back and not just winning 2-0, but really being firmly in control for the entire first half, uh, it was it was pretty much dominance in the first half for K-State, uh, which was unusual. And uh, they their passing was really crisp. Um, there was um, really great communication. Uh, the passing was definitely the most noticeable because getting the ball up the field to attackers has been one of our biggest issues in the past. But in this game in particular, especially in the first half, we were doing a really great job at keeping our spacing but still making quick, concise passes. And when we needed to make long passes, we were connecting on them again, especially in the first half. Uh, we came out a little slow in like the first 10 to 15 minutes of the uh, second half. Uh, but other than that, the second half was, again, more control for K-State. Um, kind of slowing it down a little bit up to nil. Uh, but K-State ended up with 19 shots uh, in this game. Six of them were on goal. Uh, K-State scores twice. They win 2-0. Uh, they had six corners in the first half, seven total in the game. And, uh, uh, again, committed 15 fouls, but UTSA committed 13 in kind. K-State's just going to be a very physical and aggressive team. Uh, so that's just kind of the style they're going to play. Um, UTSA was clearly keying in on Jasmine Brown, who um, had a fantastic week uh, the prior week against uh, both Green Bay and Northwestern, 
And so we were starting to use her as a decoy a bit. Um, we, the two goals we scored were in rapid succession uh, within 40 seconds of each other, as I recall. Uh, later in the first half, uh, the first one uh, was scored, and uh, uh, it was after a series of really crisp uh, passes uh, in the attacking third near the box. And uh, uh, it was, uh, ended up, uh, there ended up being a shot rebounding off of the goalie that was uh, rebounded in uh, by, uh, I can't remember who exactly right now, uh, but then just about 40 seconds later, uh, uh, we scored a goal from outside the box that was really impressive, uh, just kind of a wonder goal that just got over the outstretched hand of the goalie and uh, um, went in through the uh, uh, top part of the goal and uh, was fantastic. It was a fantastic shot. And uh, I had, that was it for the scoring. It, it all happened really fast. Uh, but K-State, um, in, the, in the first half, they were getting a lot of shots off. They had 11 shots a half. They ended up with 19. Uh, but um, UTSA did uh, start really uh, unpacking uh, the defensive side uh, for the end of the first half and um, parts of the second half as well just to prevent more goal scoring. Uh, but K-State looked really put together. They looked really connected, and they looked confident, which was uh, um, a big step up, I think. They looked like a quality uh, soccer club. Yeah. And you also mentioned that in the first half, the possession was controlled a lot by K-State. Like, it was spent a lot of time on UTSA's side of the pitch. In the second half, it wasn't as noticeable, I think it was a bit more even, but a lot of that, you, as you enlightened me, because uh, I'll give you a spoiler as to which one of us actually knows what soccer does, uh, it's not me, but you, it, it the we didn't really need to play super aggressively in the second half, up 2-0, and our defense was generally pretty strong throughout the entire game, so you know, you, you take 2-0 dubs, you take those. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason to really go all out offensively in the second half against a team that, at least in the first half, we showed that we overmatched them in a lot of ways. And I think some of that had the opposite effect that uh, Coach Dabini wanted in the first moments of the uh, second half. So we had to readjust and regain our intensity, but just kind of redirect it. And it's not to say we weren't attacking. We were still attacking, but... it. The primary focus wasn't scoring more goals because we had already scored. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had two. That's a comfortable enough lead to where you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to press. Yeah, yeah. You're not. You're not pressing at all. Uh, up two 0 So that's a a really good result for K State again. Uh, unbeaten. They have that draw against Northwestern. Uh, so unbeaten through three games, uh, which is uh, really good. Not a common sight. Uh, for K-State soccer. Uh, so it's uh, good to see, um, at least through these three games, that they've uh, remained unbeaten. Of course, they have the draw. I don't know why you're knocking on wood. I'm just stating that. Yeah, I, 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 I thought earlier you said, I hope they stay undefeated. So, Or at least I thought you did. Well, I hope they stay unbeaten. I hope they do too. So, <laughs> uh, which they, they, They've looked good so far this year. Yeah. And uh, it looks, because they were picked, I think, 12th in the uh, preseason polls. 
for the Big 12. If they continue to play at this level, they should outperform that. Yeah. Which, improvement. That is the goal. So, that is the... Actually, the next football matchup, and by that I mean soccer, will be up against Creighton this Sunday at 1 p.m. It is in Boozer Family Park in Manhattan, Kansas. And it is Pups at the Pitch Day. So you can go in, you can see the dogs. And also some really quality soccer. Whichever you go for is is up to your discretion. (laughs) Yep, and hopefully the heat is cleared out by then. They moved the game Thursday night uh, back a couple of hours because of the heat. I think it should clear out by Sunday. So if you're in town, uh, go and give it a watch. uh, Because they've been worth watching so far. Yeah. And uh, it should be more uh, continuous uh, or more continuation of some quality soccer for Mike DeBini's club. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more from them and seeing if they can maintain this level. I agree. So now we can, before we move on into the football news segment, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats, where we're going to be covering the small tidbits of relevant football news from the interviews with Chris Kleiman, among other people, mostly Chris Kleiman. Uh, we're not going to cover everything because, you know, Twitter people have ar- people in the Twitterverse have already done that. I'm not calling it the Xverse. It's stupid. Uh, <laughs> So we're just kind of going to cover a few things that we thought were especially notable. Uh, the first of which is an injury news split into two parts. The first news is that Daniel Green is likely going to be out for a few weeks with an injury. Uh, an undisclosed injury, but it is projected that he will be back. It won't. He's not projected to miss all of non-con, so it's not a long-term injury. So, you know... it. If you're going to pick a time to be hurt, obviously, if you can pick never, that's when you would like to. But if you're going to pick those games, I would pick the SEMO and the Troy games. Now, Kleiman has uh, recently said that he should be practicing by the beginning of game week. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we may still see him against uh, Southeast Missouri. Um, it's not a vital game for him to play, so if he's not healthy, I doubt they push him. And even if he does play, he's probably going to be on a snap count. Yeah. So it's uh, not going to be a huge focus on uh, Daniel Green uh, in that first week. So we may see some Jake Clifton uh, moved around a bit. We may see some Terry Kirksey mm-hmm. as well. So it's uh, lo- looking to be uh, interesting. There's a couple of guys there. Um to kind of keep your eye on, see if they suit up, which uh, we can get in the next guy then. Yeah. Uh, the next guy with injury news is Uso Sayamalo, or Va'ai Sayamalo. I'm pretty sure he just goes by Uso now. Um, that one is a little bit bigger because I am not as trusting as our of our nose tackle depth as I am of the, uh, the linebacker depth. But... You know, again, if it's supposedly going to be short term, which allegedly it is, uh, all of the injuries so far seem to have been short term to Christian Duffy, which we've already discussed in a few weeks, I believe a few weeks ago, maybe last week. Daniel Green, supposedly short term, could even be back for SEMO. And then Uso, 
at most probably being out for the non-con. You know, it, if you're going to pick a time, pick the non-con games. Uh, again, pick never. But if you if you can't do that, uh, I think Uso hurts just the tiniest bit more. And it's all because of depth. I, I would hear the argument for Daniel Green. You know, he's the most experienced. He's the, the captain of the defense. And, but I, I think Uso, I'm just really sad I won't get to see Uso run the foams of that poor Simo center who's like 260 and doesn't deserve it. I don't actually know if their center is 260, but it's an FCS center, so probably. Yeah. Um, Uso will be interesting to watch. Um, if we're lucky, he'll end up in a similar situation as Daniel Green, where he's playing, but on a bit of a snap count, and we'll just see more of a Damian Leo and Javon Banks uh, in that first game. And beyond that, we do need Uso um, healthy for uh, conference play. I think we'd also really need him for uh, Mizzou. Probably. Uh, I think I think that'd be big. Um, to get him back for that game, uh, but I'm, yeah, I'll be a little bit sad if we don't see him for a while because I've been pretty excited to see Uso this year because so many coaches have been just raving about how good Uso's been in the off season. So I'm really excited to see uh, what he can do. Uh, I have no idea what the timeline will be. I'm hopeful that he's able to play um, in that first game. Uh, but I'm also hopeful that we'll be winning by so much that we don't see much of him. So yeah. that's that's the ideal. Yeah. Then the next little bit is the starting safeties are sort of what we projected them to be, which was you know Marquis or Marquez Siegel, um, Kobe Savage, and VJ Payne. That's sort of what our projection. I think the entire off season has been, hasn't it? Yeah, we. We've been thinking that, I think, ever since the rumors about uh, Siegel moving to safety from corner started, which it's been a while since then. And I, I think we probably could have read between the lines on it anyways, with mm-hmm. Kleiman just really liking moving uh, man-cover corners uh, to safety positions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, we're noticing a pattern there, at least, with Kleiman. And uh, then VJ Payne, I think, after his... Uh, really impressive true freshman year, albeit with some errors here and there. He was a true freshman, and we can expect that, but he was still very athletic. And uh, then Kobe Savage, I think, was a shoe-in if he could get healthy, mm-hmm. and he's very healthy. Uh, so I, I think those are the clear top three. But I'm going to be more interested in who's playing behind them because there's, I think, some really intriguing candidates. You and I both really like Daniel Cobbs mm-hmm. and Kendra Steiger. He played um, the first game. I think he started the first game last yep, year because we he had was on emergency duty. Yeah, because we were missing a couple of guys uh, for that game, and then uh, Colby McAllister. Yeah, uh, Colby McAllister is another name to look out for as well. So there, there's a few different names that we could uh, potentially see, and maybe even Jordan Wright, who could play some corner or some safety. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to look at the defensive rotations in that first game. That's uh, something I always like seeing is who are the young guys uh, that get playing time early. Last year, that was kind of the first game where we started seeing a lot of Jake Clifton because I think I think Daniel Green was hurt for the first game last year as well. Probably. Yeah, I think he was because we did see a lot of uh, 
I remember us getting more Jake Clifton that game than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that's the only good thing to draw, or the only intriguing thing, I guess, to draw whenever uh, um, guys go out is who steps in, uh, who takes their place, linebacker especially, just because there's so many options. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to the safeties, uh, the those top three safeties, um, I don't think it's too surprising. Uh, but it does make me feel comfortable that that about that starting line, and uh, I feel a little better about um, the two line this year. Like I think we have six. I think we have six guys on the roster that are at minimum playable. Yeah, uh, including those starting guys. So I'm not super worried about it yet. Um, but let's just hope none of the starters get hurt, anyways. That was not going to be a moment. Um... The other little bit of news that I forgot to put on the outline was the announcing of captains. And your K-State captains will be Will Howard, Seth Porter. I always get him and Shane mixed up, obviously, because they're brothers. Will Howard, (laughs) Seth Porter, Hayden Gillum, Daniel Green, Kobe Savage. Oh, I'm missing two. BB. Cooper BB. And there's one that I'm missing. We're going to pause the pod while I look this up. More. The answer is more. Austin Moore. I feel really bad for forgetting that one. Yeah, which is fine because it does still uh, underline one of the, I think, important things to point out about these captains is uh, that almost half of them, it's an odd number, so it can't be half, yeah. but almost half uh, are former walk-ons mm-hmm. uh, with Seth Porter, Hayden Gillum, and Austin Moore. Um, all of those guys um, making their way from walk-on status to uh, starters and their own right. Seth Porter being a starter on special teams, um, I think every unit. And uh, Austin Moore having, at least for the first half of last year, an all-Big 12 season. And then Hayden Gillum, he was a uh, starting center all year last year. So uh, interesting to see that uh, with uh, walk-ons continuing to uh, succeed at K-State. Um, but then you still get um, your your big names, uh, the big scholarship guys like Will Howard and Kobe Savage and Daniel Green and Cooper Beebe that are all probably NFL guys. And then every captain this year is listed as a senior as well. Uh, normally you have at least you know like one or two um, guys that are maybe juniors, but I think that maybe speaks to the leadership of the senior class uh, or at least the guys at senior eligibility at this point. So all those guys made it through uh, the COVID season, other than uh, Kobe Savage, and uh, they they've all uh, been through a lot. So they've seen the culture when it wasn't as good, and uh, they they've kind of earned their stripes, I guess, in in that right. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to to describe it, is that they earned their stripes because they survived the hell that was the the COVID season. I, I mean, especially especially Will especially will during the COVID season. No one had it easy, but I, I'm not sure you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who had it harder. That's still on the team, at least. But, yeah, that is the new captains, and with that out of the way, that pretty much wraps up the directly K-State-related news, but there is one little bit of news and that was on three putting out an article showing that Colin Klein is a rising coordinator in the ranks. I'm going to pat my myself on the back here. So uh, Blake Baker was one of the first listed, who's the the MUDC. 
Uh, if he's not a head coach somewhere next year, he killed someone. Uh, <laughs> that is a joke. For legal reasons, that is a joke. <laughs> um, but Colin Klein being on that list just kind of shows where he's at and where he's thought of in the sort of, of national space as both a coach in general and as an offensive mind. Yeah, and I think the uh, saga with uh, Notre Dame probably helps as well, uh, given that he was offered that coordinator position and turned it down. Uh, and I know Alabama had him on their short list, so that probably helps more than anything uh, because not many people were talking about him during the season outside of the K-State sphere. Uh, but I, I, it definitely probably helped that the teams that – national writers actually pay attention to we're interested in them so uh which maybe that's a good thing for k-state maybe it's not because rising coordinator generally means they think that's a coordinator that's gonna go out on their own pretty mm-hmm. soon uh i guess we'll see with colin klein uh, if he sticks around or if he goes uh, we're lucky to have him this year yeah um but yeah it, it definitely makes sense to me because the offense last year for k-state was a uh, pretty big step up, especially when Will was under center, particularly when Will was under center. Yeah. Uh, I guess behind center. They're not really under center anymore. But <laughs> In center adjacent. Yeah. But <laughs> he uh, um, made some really big um, impacts on the offense last year, and uh, people seem to be pretty excited about uh, the additions he's making to the foundation that was laid last year. So... Uh, there's a lot to like about Colin Klein, and he's um, also a young coach, which is another thing that works in his favor. I, mean, I think he's probably in his early 30s, uh, maybe mid-30s at this point. Uh, 2012, he would have been a senior. so uh, He's in his early to mid-30s, yeah. and he uh, uh, already getting up there. So, I mean, it wouldn't be shocking to see him uh, take a uh, coaching job maybe for – a group of five, a head coaching job after this year to kind of stake out on his own and uh, uh, kind of prove he can do it outside of K-State. Yeah. Because I think that would be the only thing he'd really have to prove. Uh, I, I truly do believe that Colin Klein ends up as K-State's head coach someday. I, am, I truly do believe that in my heart of hearts. Yeah, I... I'm sure K-State fans would love for it to be a very smooth transition, because I would too, um, for it to be a Chris Kleiman rides off into the sunset and uh, Colin Klein is given the reins. Um, I'd imagine it probably won't be that quite that smooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine Klein goes away at some point, and then Kleiman leaves, and we have to get Klein back uh, somehow. And the timing will have to be right on that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's doable. And I, I think Klein has earned a lot of respect um, as a coach at this point as well, obviously. So even beyond him being a K-State guy, uh, would also probably just be an objectively good hire uh, since he's been around Power 5 football for a while now. Um, he did briefly coach at another university. I think it was Northern, Northern Iowa. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been around the block at this point and he's shown that he's a really creative offensive mind which is uh, something that athletic departments love uh, especially nowadays with the game favoring offense more and more uh, so I'm 
I, I think Klein probably will be. I, I think I agree with you. The I think he'll be the coach at K State sometime in the next ten to fifteen years. Yeah, I, I, you know, I I do agree with you that it probably goes from Kleiman to Klein. The the only caveat I would say is if Klein's in the middle of a contract, we may get a year or two of Van. Because I I'm still surprised that Van, I say this every time I'm surprised Van isn't a head coach somewhere. Yeah, I'd imagine a lot of it comes down to st- the staff loyalty to Kleiman because the um, ability to keep his staff together is something that I think goes overlooked sometimes because uh, we've not had a lot of changes um, at the uh, key positions. I mean, Connor Riley's been here the whole time. Klanderman's been here the whole time. Involuntary but, changes, yeah. I think, would be the best way. Buddy, Ryan, uh, Buddy Wyatt's been here the whole time. Uh, Brian Anderson has been here the whole time. Tui has been here the whole time. And Van has been here the whole time. We've seen changes at receiver, at tight ends coach. Um, but LePac is um, in his second season, I think, now as tight ends coach. And uh, um, Middleton has been uh, really impressive so far as receivers coach. Hopefully we finally get a receivers coach for more than one season. <laughs> yeah, uh, But the, I, I do think that the Van Malone thing probably speaks to Kleiman's, uh, to the respect that Van has for Kleiman and the rest of the staff. Uh, and I guess in some ways, you know, they know they're in a good situation and they're not keen to maybe mess it up and go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I am still surprised that Van hasn't gotten uh, a head coach job because I do think he has earned it. I agree, but that pretty much wraps up the news segment. Now, of course, we have everyone's favorite, which is the wacky segment of the week, which this week is definitely totally not at all based on real-life events. Uh, <laughs> say, in a hypothetical situation, right, you walk into a car shop, a mechanics, a mechanics office, so to speak, and you see the entire football team are going to be your mechanics, do you think you are screwed, or do you think you'll be A-OK? I think if it was the entire team, I think it would not go well. Um, I think that you would have to narrow it down to people that either are knowledgeable or at least people that can be useful. Mm-hmm. Because my big issue with the whole team being there is that there's just so many people, I can't possibly see it going well. Mm-hmm. Like unless they really have a great assembly line built up, uh, and everybody has like one job that they're good at, and they just kind of work in unison like that. I'm not convinced that they will be able to do that. <laughs> uh, but I guess if anyone would be able to um, kind of work together as a unit and all do their jobs, it would be a football team. But they would need some practice, uh, so. I, I guess it would probably depend on whose leadership, who's got the best knowledge of cars um, on the team, and uh, how many of those people are there that actually know what they're doing. Because I'm sure that there are people that are pretty good with cars that are uh, on the roster. Yeah. See, I kind of took the, the opposite approach of you. Uh, I, I basically went with the, the accuracy by high volume of fire method where someone in that room has to know how to fix the problem. 
someone somewhere has to know and is able to direct a subset of people who know enough to be facilitated. That's sort of the where I went with it. That being said, I, I think I fall smack in the middle of being screwed and being, you know, perfectly fine and like having a perfect repair. I think I sit right in the middle because I also think that the people who would be knowledgeable would be knowledgeable in more like home methods to fix it. So you're going to end up with something jerry-rigged that'll work. But if you ever take it into a dealership or an actual mechanic, they may just have a heart attack and die. <laughs> but do you have any, any final notes for this episode, Connor? I don't at all, I don't think. I think I'm good. Nice. So if that's the case, that wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter, threads, or Instagram at AggievilleACats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, once again, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store at AggievilleAlleyCats.MySpreadShop.com. That's AggievilleAlleyCats.MySpreadShop.com. And if you place an order before August 30th, you get 15% off your entire order. But for now, thank you for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>